Our text tonight is uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to um, the church in Thessalonica. He wrote this letter very shortly after he wrote the first letter. He wrote this one as kind of a follow-up um, to the first letter. Many suppose that, that the second epistle was written mere months after um, he sent the fir- after the church received the first letter. Um, and so the question arises, wh- why did Paul need to write such a second letter in, in such short succession after the first? Well, you know, couldn't he have just waited and got it all out in, in the first letter, you, would, you may, may think. Um, some would say, well, does it even matter why he sent a second letter? Um, for me, when preaching or teaching, especially um, in the New Testament and in the epistles, uh, I feel that it's important to have an understanding of the circumstances in which um, the books are written and who they're written to and who they're written from and, and why they're written. And so why, um, I find that interesting, why did Paul write a second letter to this church in, in such short succession? And, um, and to find that answer, uh, have a better understanding of, of all that, we need to go back to Acts in chapter number 17 where we read um, about the instance in which Paul started the church in Thessalonica. So if you're in Acts chapter 17, we're going to read the first 10 verses, um, just to, have, just to um, be all on the same page here. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipola, um, Amphipolis sorry, and uh, Apollonia, They came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So he went to Thessalonica, and for three weeks, for three weeks he went to the synagogue and preached and taught the Scriptures um, with the Jews that were there, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So there it says, hey, some people believed in the teaching, they um, received the preaching, they accepted Christ. Um, it says many of, um, of the Jews, or of the Greeks rather, um, many uh, prominent women even. It says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, uh, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night, unto Berea, 
who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul and Silas, uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey right here. And he and um, Silas get to Thessalonica. They go to the synagogue. Um, and for three weeks, for a very short amount of time, um, they're able to preach and teach in the synagogue. Uh, many believed um, during that time. And during that time, the church was started in Thessalonica. Um, the, the Jews who did not believe in Jesus um, weren't okay with this. They got upset and said they took a bunch of lewd fellows of the Basser sort, um, some rough guys, I guess, and went and they broke into Jason's house. Um, Jason being um, a key part of the church there, and they were looking for Paul and Silas. I'm looking for these guys. They wanted to put them on trial for, for preaching heresy, for teaching that there was a second king other uh, than, uh, than Caesar. So they um, broke into Jason's house. They couldn't find Paul and Silas. So instead, they grabbed Jason and somebody else that says it, it's not mentioned there and, and kidnapped them instead and put them on trial. Um, after they, they had no basis, since they didn't have uh, Paul or Silas, then the courts released Jason um, and told, who then told uh, Paul and Silas, said, hey, you guys got to get out of here. Um, this is not going to be good for you guys. And so uh, Paul and Silas left. Again, only a short three weeks there in Thessalonica, but it was long enough for them to establish this church. Paul didn't really get a chance to invest into these people as much as he would have liked, as much as, as he was accustomed to do. Um, so he wrote the first letter to the church um, to kind of further um, his preaching unto them. He wrote to them to assure this young church um, of the gospel message, um, how they ought to live, especially with the end in mind. This was a church, as we'll see, um, that um, was very focused on the second coming of Christ and very focused on the end um, of their time on earth. And um, in 1 Thessalonians, um, especially in, in uh, chapter 4 and 5, um, Paul talked to them about the rapture and about the tribulation, about the second coming of Christ. And if you have uh, been here, part of our um, adult Bible study through uh, the end times, then you're familiar um, with exactly what Paul was teaching there um, in 1 Thessalonians. And, uh, but Paul felt it necessary to write a second letter shortly thereafter uh, because some confusion had arisen among the church. Again, very young Christians. Um, he didn't get a chance to really um, disciple them and really teach them as much as he would have liked. And so um, a young, um, really kind of gullible group of believers uh, were there. A false, false teachers had, had infiltrated the church and um, they had forged a letter um, that they sent to give to the church, uh, pretending it to be from Paul himself, and teaching them some things that were contrary 
two of his, his first letter. So at, in, in, in response to these false teachers, in response to these false letters, Paul wrote a second letter um, assuring them of the truth that he had preached unto them, uh, assuring them of the truth that he had previously taught and letting them know, this was a, a short three-chapter letter, hey, letting them know, hey, this previous letter, that was a little shady, that wasn't for me. Um, that's a fake, and, uh, and so just kind of um, reassuring them of some things. And, and despite the, the false teacher stirring up the confusion, despite the church being very young, um, we see here in the, we'll see here in the first couple of verses that Paul praised the church for being a healthy, strong church that he was thankful for. Look at it in, uh, flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. You can lose your place there in Acts. We won't uh, be returning back over there. But in um, Thess- 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Silvanus, um, um, the longer um, word for Silas, and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And, um, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your, persecution, your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Um, Paul praised the church right here in these, in these four short verses for being healthy, for being strong, and for being a church that he was thankful for. Look at verse number three again. He says, he said, we are bound to thank God always for you. The word bound here means to be under an obligation. Uh, it, it is used of a man who is in debt and who has to pay the debt that he owes. He is obligated. He is bound by this debt that he owes. Paul used the same idea in Romans chapter 1 verse 14 when he said that that he was debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise to preach the gospel unto them. He felt that it was his um, that he, that he was his um, obligation that he was indebted to others to preach the gospel and and the same way that he felt that he was debted to the church in Thessalonians to thank God for this church. Uh, he, was, he, he felt that, uh, a, that, he, that this church was due a debt of gratitude on his behalf. The church in Thessalon- Thessalonica was a church to be thankful for. It was a healthy, a strong church that we could model ourselves after. Paul couldn't um, share this same sentiment with some of the other churches with whom he wrote letters to. He couldn't say that about every church, that he was bound to be thankful for them. He wasn't able to share these 
um, um, these, these glowing reviews um, with some of the other churches. A couple of them that he did, um, if you were looking the introduction of Philippians and of um, Ephesians, uh, he, he was very praiseworthy, was very um, um, giving of praise to those churches. Um, not so giving to the churches in Corinth and Galatia. Um, and so, you know, it, it's not just every church that Paul started would be one to be thankful for. This was special. This was, um, this was unique. And many, if not all of us, could say something similar concerning Fellowship Baptist Church tonight. That we are bound to thank God for the church in which he has given us. Which is the church that he has blessed us to be a part of. It should be the goal of every one of us to help this church to be a healthy, strong church. That, we are, that, that, that is worthy to be thankful of. So I want to look at some things that Paul mentioned concerning this church. What made this church in Thessalonica a church to be thankful for? Uh, just a few things. Number one, the church was grounded. The church was grounded. When I say grounded, perhaps the first thing that you think of, uh, the first word that you would think of might be established. Um, a grounded church possibly equals an established church. But a church can be established and not be grounded in the right things. There are a lot of established churches that are well known. Um, they've been around for a long time. They have a, a long tenured pastor. They have a good group of believers. And, and we look at those churches and we'd say, hey, that's an established church. That's been around for a very long time. And, um, and, and it's solid, but it's, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's there. It's not closing its doors anytime soon. For instance, a church could, but, but that doesn't mean that it's grounded in the right things. For instance, a, a church can be grounded in the culture or so that surrounds it. Uh, a church can be grounded in tradition or in legalism. Um, it could be grounded in uh, it could be erroneously grounded in politics. There are many things that an established church can be grounded in, but that does not mean that it, 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 it pleases God. But a church that is to experience the divine fruit of God, the divine blessing of God, must be a church that is genuinely grounded in God. Their foundation is God. Their identity is God. Their focus is God. Their mission is God. And that is what Paul is talking about right here. He was thankful for the church in Thessalonica, not because they, they were established um, on preferences or they were established in tradition um, or legalism or, or that they were a good church for that culture. Um, they were a church that was grounded in God. Look at verse number one. It says, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does a church become grounded in God? How does a church avoid being 
um, grounded in these other things that could take up so much time and so much attention and so much focus? Well, by being grounded in the Word of God. When a church is being grounded in the Word, it will be grounded in God. Herein lies a lot of the differences between a church that is grounded in God and a church that is grounded in something else, is that the focus is not upon the Word of God. For instance, a church that is grounded in, in politics will be a church in where um, each time the, the pastor stands in the pulpit, um, they're bringing up political views or the government or the country, and the focus is always um, on the exterior, on, on our culture, and, and on how things, on, on how we're surrounded um, by everything around us. And, and if that's the case, then the focus is always on political views and on governmental views and on socialistic views instead of being focused on the Word of God. A church that, um, it, it, that is... Uh, is grounded on traditional legalistic practices, is a church that upholds tradition above anything else. We have a church that, that, that preaches, um, uh, if you do these five things, then you're saved. And if you do these five things, then that must mean that you're not saved. Uh, and, and, and if you don't do these things, then you're going to lose your salvation. And, um, and if you want to be right with God, then, then you better be up to this particular standard. These are legalistic views, and if the preaching is constantly on those traditional legalistic views, then that's what it's going to be grounded in, whatever, whatever is focused, whatever is, 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 is preached upon. A, a church's focus might be on music, and there's nothing wrong with great godly music. It's a huge um, addition and benefit to the church but a church that, that, that is focused on the music and invests time and money and attention on the music. To, and, and so they have a great music service, and it's a music service um, uh, um, that, that, that is something to be experienced and something to, re, to be remembered. And it makes up a, a large portion of the service, as in the preaching goes back to the music service or, or the preaching is, is, is scattered, what's going to happen? Then the church is going to be grounded in the music. It's going to be grounded in, um, in, in how they sing and, and, and that first part of the service. I've seen youth groups and churches alike that are driven by programs, that are driven by games, that are driven by giveaways. Uh, and what's the result? The result is a church that is, that is grounded in those programs and in those things. Um, several years ago, I was talking to um, a guy I went to college with, and he was um, pastoring um, kind of a, a, a new church. I kind of, he was revitalizing a church that had almost closed its doors um, in, in central Oklahoma. And about uh, 30 minutes down the road, um, a big church was um, was coming in, and for their Easter service, um, they were going to have. Um, they were advertising all this stuff for Easter services. They're going to give away Krispy Kreme donuts for everybody that came, and they were going to have a helicopter that flies over and drops eggs, um, and those eggs were going to be filled with 
um, with tokens and stuff for all these great giveaways, like TVs and bikes and, 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 and gift cards and all of this stuff. And, and uh, there wasn't a Starbucks anywhere close, and they were bringing Starbucks in from Oklahoma City to have coffee for that Easter Sunday. Guess what that church was being grounded on? It wasn't being grounded on the Word of God. It was being grounded on all of these other programs and all these other things to gain attention. And so sure, they probably had a good turnout for that Sunday. And a lot of those people probably came back and came back again and see what they could get the next time and the next time. But guess what? That wasn't a church that was grounded in God. That wasn't a church that was going to be grounded on the Word of God. You've heard it said before, keep the main thing the main thing. I think mean, usually they, they proceed to tell you what the main thing is. Hey, keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is soul winning. Keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is missions. Keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is music. Keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is the Bible. Whatever the main thing is, uh, uh, let's see what God says the main thing is. Psalm 138, verse number 2. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God says the one thing that he has magnified above his name is what? His word. So what do you think God thinks the main thing is? His word. Colossians 2 verse 7 says, Rooted. Um, says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. It says, rooted and built up. What does that mean? It means grounded. And how are we grounded? How are we established in the faith? According to Colossians 2 7, it says, as ye have been taught. Been taught what? The Word of God. So it's clear to God the magnification, the teaching of His Word is the very thing that leads us to be grounded in God himself. Which brings us to the application. We ought to be a church that is word-centered because it is the word that leads us to be grounded in God. It's not music that's going to lead us to be grounded in God. It's not programs that are going to lead us to be grounded in God. At Fellowship at Church, we have a lot of stuff going on around here. We've got kids' programs all, for all ages today. Um, on Sunday, we'll have a bunch of different ministries. We'll have a great music service. Um, it's our goal as a church to show um, our community liberal love. But none of that stuff matters if we're not grounded in the Word of God. If all of that stuff doesn't combine into teaching the Word of God. Why do we have individual kids' programs so that we can more intently and more effectively teach them the Word of God amongst their age group. They're split up by ages so that they can, be, they can be taught and apply the Word of God in a way that applies unto them. And, and, and the focus of the preaching and the focus of the Word has always got to be the Word of God. If we truly want dads that are grounded in God then we need the Word of God. If we want moms that are grounded in God, then we need the Word of God. If we want our marriages grounded in God, we need His Word. If we want our fellowship Bible classes to be grounded in God, it's going to be focused 
on his word. The preaching and teaching and magnification of his word is what grounded the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica and it is what, going, what is going to ground and keep grounded the church in, in liberal Kansas. Look what Paul says next in verse number two. He says, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace unto you and peace. Simply stated, when a church is grounded in God, then grace and peace will be its fruit. As the church followed the word of God, and as it was grounded in God, then their lives produced the fruit of grace and peace. Grace is what allows us to have a relationship with God. Grace is what allows us um, to receive um, God's salvation. Grace is, um, um, is what allows us to do right and to live for God on a daily basis. And peace is the result of having that relationship with God. Grace saves us. Grace sanctifies us. Um, we live our, our lives in the gospel of his grace, and in doing so, then we are awarded the peace of God in our life. And we are awarded the ability to live in peace one with another. And a church not grounded in God, and that's a church that's not centered on his word, it's a church that's not going to um, have, have God's grace and his peace. That's why Thessalonica was a healthy church. They grounded themselves. They established themselves in the right things. Although they were young, although they were um, few, although they didn't have um, a long-tenured pastor pouring into them for 40 or 50 years, they were grounded in the right thing. They were grounded in God. And so they were a church that Paul was thankful the second thing that, uh, Paul, that made this church a church that, was, um, that, that Paul is thankful for, it was grounded, but it was thriving. It was a thriving church. Uh, many people would have their own beliefs, their own opinions, their own um, ideas of what a thriving church looks like. Uh, growing numbers, more ministries, um, bigger parking lots, um, uh, building projects. Hey, if that church is building a new building, that must mean they're a thriving church. That church is adding more ministries. That must be a thriving church. That church is, um, is adding more members. That must, be, that must be a thriving church. But understand this, growing numbers, growing ministries, um, they don't necessarily indicate a thriving church according to um, God's standard. These earthly man-made measurements, um, they're carnal, they're insufficient when looking at a church um, and how God would look at a church and identify it as thriving or not. We never read in scripture that God is commending a church because they have um, improved their numbers. They've improved their membership. Uh, how do we know that the church in Thessalonica was thriving. Verse number three, they had a growing faith. Look at verse number three. 
It says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. It says nothing here about numbers, but about faith. And it should lead us to rejoice whenever uh, our fellow church members grow spirit in their spiritual faith. How are we going to become a thriving church? By growing in our faith exceedingly. Growing in our faith in our doctrine. Growing in faith in obedience. Growing in faith through suffering. Growing in faith through giving. Growing through faith in soul winning. Growing in faith and living, living for God. Uh, Paul looked at them. Paul noticed that their faith has, had grown exceedingly. He had gotten report back from Timothy. Um, said, hey, uh, uh, they're, they're growing. They're growing through suffering. Their faith um, is getting stronger. It's growing exceedingly. It's awesome to, to see people's faith grow. It's awesome to look out in the, in the congregation and, and see Christians who had been saved over the last several years and see their faith grow. It's awesome to, to get to know um, other Christians and, and to um, hear stories of how their faith has grown over the last year. And I say, hey, I wasn't able to read through my Bible completely um, last year, but I have been able to this year because my faith has grown. Hey, um, I wasn't able to overcome this sin before, but I've been able to overcome it now because my faith has grown. Hey, I wasn't able to, I didn't have enough faith to give this over to God, but my faith has grown. Hey, my, my, my marriage has, has excelled and my marriage has grown and my marriage has been restored because as my faith in God hath grown. Hey, my family has grown closer together and God has mended um, um, fractured relationships amongst our family as our faith has grown. Hey, I wasn't able to teach in a class last year, but, 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 but Brother Tyler, I'm able to now. That shows a growing faith. Hey, I was only able to be a part of one ministry before, but now I'm a part of three ministries. Why is that? Because your faith has been able to grow. The thriving, the thriving work of God um, is when lives are being changed and we see God bringing us incredible faith in Him. It's not about uh, the, the, the signs of a thriving church. is isn't about larger offerings or, or more ministries or bigger buildings. It's about how our faith has grown. And if our faith is growing, then we're thriving. Then they had they not only had a growing faith, they had an abounding love. Verse number three. Again, the, the last half of verse number three. It says, And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Uh, Paul could, um, again, Paul wasn't there, but he got um, word back from Timothy um, about this church, and, and he could see that their love was growing for each other. Their love was abounding. Their love for each other was increasing. And guess what? That's an evidence of true salvation. 
um, salvation and God working in our life and growing in our faith will result in an abounding love, will result in increasing love toward one another. Paul said, hey, you're grounded in the Word of God. You're growing in faith, and you're loving more than you've ever loved before. An abounding love is a mark of a thriving church. It's a, if you're able to love somebody more than you used to, you say, well, I've never been able to love this person before I was saved. But now that I've accepted Christ, and now that God is doing a work in my life, um, um, I knew them before salvation, and, I, and, and we didn't get along. But through my faith, and through God working in my life, I'm able to love them. So how are you loving those around you? Are you showing love? Are you increasing in your love? Are you loving selflessly? Are you loving sacrificially? We need to pause and answer for ourselves. Do I have an abounding love? How do I feel about that person on the other side of the auditorium? Are you sitting on this side because they're sitting on that side? Do you see them in the foyer and so you stop and go through the auditorium to get to the other side? You see them in line in the K Cafe and so you say, oh, don't need a coffee tonight. I'm good. I'll stop by McDonald's. Don't do that. Help out the cake effect. Show a love. Sit down across the table from somebody else that you have not always got along with. How do you interact with those in, with whom you've had disagreements? Hey, I heard they were saying something negative about me. Okay? Do you harbor that bitterness in your heart and continue to, to spread rumors about them or, or ignore them and, and let it fester? Or do you have an abounding love that goes to them and says, hey, are we good? Is everything okay? I heard this. I want to make sure that, that, we, that, that we're good, that we have an abounding love toward one another. They had a growing, that increasing love for each other. Not just to those that are close to us, but even to those who have offended us to those whom we don't have a great relationship, to those who we've only said hi to casually. We often get church measurements out of sorts. We often think, hey, how, is, how do we know if this church is thriving? One measurement is do they have an abounding love? And then they had an enduring hope. They had an enduring hope. Look at verse number four. It says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. They were persecuted, and yet they endured tribulations for their faith. Remember back in Acts 17? They faced some persecution. Whenever the, whenever the Jews who didn't believe um, Paul, and they didn't believe in Christ, what they do? They went and kicked down Jason's door and invaded his home, took him out, and put him on trial. They were persecuted. And this wasn't a one-time event. They continued to persecute the church. Paul had a desire, if you were to go back and, and read through um, the book of Acts, Paul had a desire to go back and continue to minister unto the, the, those, the Thessalonians 
but it was not safe. He, he, he would not be able to, so he had to stay away because of the persecutions, because of the tribulations. We, um, uh, um, he, he, he talked about it in the book of first, in the first letter, the first Thessalonians. He talked about the persecutions and the trials that they endured. And he's saying here in verse number four, he said, hey, you've endured with hope, with patience, persecutions and tribulations. And through these trials and through these things, their hope was not vanquished. They did not lose hope. They did not give up. Their faith was not quenched. They continued to grow in faith. And they continued to abound in love. And they continued to endure those tribulations. This is a mark of a thriving church that our hope and our faith is in, a, is in the sovereignty of God. That whenever trials come, and whenever storms come, whenever tribulations and persecutions might come into our life, that we continue to trust in God, that we continue to endure, and we continue to serve. That we have faith that His sovereignty is in control. That we have faith that, that He will not put us through something in which we are not able to come out, that we are not able to gain victory in. With hope we endure, and with hope we keep our eyes on Jesus. That is a sign of a thriving church. How easy, do you, how easy is it for you to give up? When something negative comes into your life, you immediately say, oh, I guess I lost this battle. I'll get them next time. We can all look around the room tonight, and we can, we can see Christians who are here two and three months ago but they're not here anymore why because a persecution a tribulation arose in their life and they did not endure but they but they gave in they lost hope instead of enduring through that tribulation and and continuing through it and and allowing that tribulation allowing that trial to grow their faith and continue to grow their faith they thought, hey, I guess this isn't working out for me. A thriving church is made of believers that endure persecution, that endure tribulation, and press on. Here we have a clear indication of what comprises a thriving church. A thriving church has a growing faith, has an abounding love, and it has an enduring hope. This is a church that Paul was thankful for. It said that he was bound to give God thanks. He, 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 he couldn't get away. He couldn't get by without thanking God for the church. Why? Because they were grounded. They were grounded in the word of God. They, they, and they were a thriving church. They were a church that um, that growing faith and abounding love and an enduring hope. I look out over the I, I look out over the room and I think about Fellowship Baptist Church. And I believe that we are a church to be thankful for. I believe that we're a growing church. I believe that we're a thriving church. I I know that we're a grounded church. 
because we have, we've had pastors for over 50 years stand in the pulpit and preach the word of God and, and, and focus on the word of God. But in order for us to continue, continue to be a grounded church, that must continue. And it doesn't just end right here in these four walls. Being a grounded church means that it's comprised of grounded church members. And for you to be a grounded church member, grounded in the word of God, then, it's, then it requires us to go home and to have a home that's grounded in the word of God. To have a family that's grounded in the word of God. And to take the word of God to have it a focus in your personal life and have it a focus of your family's life. To have a focus of your kid's life life. What are you doing to, to help to ensure that we are a grounded church? Do you simply just come on Sunday and, 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 and hear the word of God that's preached and thankful for it? Do you take that and continue to foster the focus of God's word in your life? And how have you contributed to the church being a thriving church? This is a question that every single one of us can answer to ourselves. Has my faith grown recently? Or have I been in the same rut that I've been in for years? And understand this, if your faith is not growing, if it is stagnant, then you are not thriving. You're not a thriving Christian. You're not contributing to the church being a thriving church. Now, can the church continue to thrive in spite of you? Sure can. But if enough members can, but if enough of our members, if enough of our people have that same attitude, can we say, hey, I'm okay. I've been at the same level for quite a while and I'm all right. Then our church slowly will decline. It will not be thriving for long. How is your faith growing? How is your love abounding toward others? And have you endured through trials? Have you had an enduring hope? Continuing through, man, it was a rough Sunday. I don't know if I can continue in children's church after this Sunday. Hey, endure through that. Man, I was on the bus and it was the worst. It was the worst week we've ever had. Those kids were terrible. Hey, endure through that. Have an enduring faith. Hey, I've, I've been reading the Word, and I've, and I've been I'm spending time with God, and, I, and I've been witnessing, but it doesn't seem to do any good in my family's life. Hey, endure through that with hope that God's going to make a difference in your family's life. And let's ensure that Fellowship Baptist Church is a church to be thankful for. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, come before.